Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your word. We know that all flesh is like grass. Uh, Our glory is like the flowers of the field that fade, and yet your word stands forever. Spirit of God, would you help me, would you help us to listen and understand? Would your word have power among us and in our hearts for the glory of Jesus? pray in his precious name. Amen. If you are like me, and I think that of of many Christians in America, you may have fallen prey to spiritual pessimism, a lack of expectation in what God is doing and will do. Maybe it's the the shift of our culture away from Christian morals. Maybe it's uh, a loss of power and status and position for the church and society. Maybe it's a constant barrage of news clippings about problems in the world or problems in the church. These things and so much more can easily lead us to spiritual pessimism, a a doubting of the reality that King Jesus is on the throne, ruling and growing and expanding his kingdom even now. And when you, like me, doubt this, then you are fearful and timid and hesitant to take up a role in what God's doing. God began working on my spiritual pessimism about a year and a half ago when our family moved to Boston to begin ministry there to the Albanian community. In many ways, we were familiar with Boston. My wife grew up in Boston. We made multiple visits each year. And so we came with a perception of the city, uh, of a, a great city with a history of faith, but we expected a present kind of decline in spiritual interest. We imagined a a spiritual climate as cold as a Boston winter. And in fact, that was the results of surveys by evangelicals that that put the percentage of evangelicals at about 1.5% of the general population. And yet what we found and learned is that there's a a different side of the story. Yes, there's spiritual coldness and, and apathy, particularly among Anglos and those educated and wealthy, but in so many other ways, a harvest is happening. As always, the kingdom of God is on the move. And men and women from all kinds of cultures and backgrounds are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, The Emmanuel Gospel Center, which is an organization in Boston, published a study that they called New England's Book of Acts. And they document what they call the quiet revival. Quiet because it's taking place hidden from the sight of most people. But much of this revival is happening among the immigrant communities, Brazilians, Chinese, Haitians, Asians, Puerto Ricans. It's happening in storefront churches and homes on the street corners. Men and women from Hindu and Muslim and atheist and and, uh, Buddhist backgrounds are coming to new faith in Jesus Christ. Rather than spiritually cold, Boston's actually bursting with life. And the faith of Jesus Christ is flourishing. The passage that we read has been used of God in my life to increase my expectation, my gospel optimism, and I want to share it with you to to see the harvest and to take up your role in that harvest. I'm going to have four points. We're going to see the reality of the harvest, our role in the harvest, the reward of the harvest, and the reason for the harvest. In terms of context. Uh, This passage, John 4, is the famous conversation of Jesus with a Samaritan woman. 
While his disciples were away in the city, Jesus crossed cultural barriers, he crossed gender barriers, religious barriers, uh, so that he could have this conversation with a Samaritan woman. And she came to faith. Despite the brokenness and, and the obstacles, she saw who Jesus was. And so our passage has the result of that. We see the coming of, of her village to Jesus and Jesus' instructions to his disciples. So first of all, lift up your eyes to see the reality of the harvest. If you read the text, the scene of the text is pretty fascinating. Jesus has been having this profound conversation with a woman. He's revealed to her that, that he is the Christ. And the disciples come back from the city, and they've gone looking for food, and they find Jesus in the Samaritan woman. And it says they marveled. They don't say anything because they're kind of used to Jesus crossing these barriers and doing surprising things. But the woman hurries back to her village. And what did she forget? She forgot her water jar. The very thing she came for, she left there. Why? Because she'd found something much greater. She found Jesus. She would found the one who has living water. And she hurries to her village and starts telling people. She's a a very unexpected messenger, right? She says, could this be the Christ, the promised the Messiah, the one who told me all that I ever did? Intrigued and doubting and hopeful and wondering, people begin to walk from their village to Jesus. How many, we, we don't know, but likely a crowd led by the elders first and then the adults and the kids I don't know if you can picture the scene, but this village coming down the road to meet Jesus. The disciples have no idea what's happening. They're talking about food. They're thinking about these things. And that's when Jesus commands them in verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Surely Jesus was not talking about agriculture or grain, but the reality that, that at that very moment, Samaritans, the ones who were too far off from God, the ones separated, the ones uh, considered too hard or too stubborn, too culturally different, too religiously backwards, the ones the disciples didn't even want to come to Jesus, maybe, they were coming to Jesus. It's unexpected, surprising, but the harvest was happening. This year, I've been surprised by the harvest happening in Boston. Yes, in Boston, like many cities, people reject the good news. They're too proud or too busy to listen. But there are also many, like the Samaritans, looking and searching. Muslim refugees, Buddhist immigrants, Harvard grads, homeless men and women, young, young and old of all ethnicities. I, I've been... Um, meeting Albanians and sharing with them about Jesus, and I've been surprised to see similar things. Again, some are busy, some are skeptical of who I am, some are focused on the American dream, but I'm encountering others who want to know who is Jesus. Since December of 2017, we began with outreach events where we gather Albanians uh, in a fellowship hall for potluck-style food and maybe some cultural dancing um, activities, and then a gospel message from me or from someone else. And each time I'm surprised by the people walking through the door. 
our second meeting, uh, we were just getting started, and we had 70 people show up in the room, and they just kept coming in, and I was thinking, what in the world's going on? Their first chance to hear the gospel, their first chance to uh, encounter the message of Jesus. Some of them haven't come back, right? But some of them keep coming. One of the men I think about, his name is Sandri, Alexander, Sandri for short. He's a, in his 50s. I met him in a coffee shop in, in Quincy, the area of Boston where I live. I heard him and his friends speaking Albanian, and kind of awkwardly I, I budged in and introduced myself, and they were actually friendly and invited me to sit down. And since then, I've met with Sandri many times, and each time we have open conversations about Jesus and faith. And he's come to our outreach events. He, he helps me set up often. He's reading scripture, and we're doing the Christianity Explored class together. And I can't explain it. Why such openness from this man? Why such response? Because the harvest is happening. Because God is at work. You see, it's unexpected that Albanians like Alexander would, would want to hear about Jesus. If you're familiar with the history of Albania, those 40 and older grew up under one of the harshest communist regimes in the history of the world, a regime similar to North Korea today. They were brainwashed with Marxist propaganda. Faith of any kind was erased from their lives. They've come to America not to look for God, but to prosperity and education and success for their kids. And those who are under 40 have come inheriting the same atheism combined with the secularism of modern-day New England. And yet, unexpectedly, because God is God and Jesus is on his throne and the kingdom of God is ever-expanding, Albanians are coming to hear about Jesus. Today, if you are an atheist or a skeptical uh, person or, or simply have lots of doubts, this reality should challenge you. You see, for 2,000 years, governments and cultures and philosophies and modernity have sought to stop Christianity and its spread. Yes, as always, some are too liberal, too modern, too liberated, um, too intelligent to, to consider to follow Jesus. But now, just as always, in Boston and Wilmington and all around the world, men and women are leaving things to come and follow Jesus, some at the very risk of their livelihood and their lives. As I've reflected on this passage I've been convicted of my lack of expectation. Maybe you're like me. I expect that when I talk about faith or Christ to an Albanian or to my neighbor or to the everyday people of Boston, that they will not want to listen, that they'll be offended, that they will laugh or simply be uninterested. And this passage convicts me that though that may certainly be the case with some, it's not the whole story. A harvest is happening. Men and women of all colors and cultures, backgrounds, and political perspectives, often those we least expect, are coming to hear about Jesus. And so Jesus says, do not say four months or two years or ten years. Now, today, in Wilmington and Boston, all across the world, a harvest is happening. The fields are white for harvest. Do you believe this? Do you see this? Secondly, lift up your eyes to see your role in the harvest. See this in verses 36 to 38. 
As Jesus was speaking to his disciples, the workers were at work. Jesus had started it off speaking to the Samaritan woman, and now she was an unlikely messenger working among her people, sowing with what she had. Not great experience or great knowledge, but a simple testimony. And that's why Jesus could say in verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages. Already Jesus and the Samaritan woman were working and reaping of the benefits. And they were doing this while the disciples remained pretty much clueless to what was happening. Yet Jesus was sending them as well to go and join the harvest. The harvest is happening all around us. It's time to labor, time to get to work. Already many are working, while many historically evangelical American churches are often stagnant or fighting cultural battles or, or as we say, circling the wagons, immigrant churches in Boston are hard at work, sharing the gospel with boldness and courage and conviction. Hispanic, African, Asian believers and congregations in Boston are multiplying, reaching lost people. And we have much to learn and be challenged by and encouraged by. And we must join them. Because much work remains to be done, even here among us. One of the, the interesting dynamics of immigration is that it's brought to, to many places like Wilmington or Boston and the greater Philadelphia area, people who are untouched by the gospel. They're international students, refugees, immigrants, restaurant workers and owners, gas station attendants, engineers, housekeepers, hotel managers, Men and women who in their country had no access to Jesus. From places like Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Somalia, Sudan. And now they may live next door to a church or next door to Christians. And yet because of culture or language or religious background, they may likely live and die here among us without encountering Jesus Christ. Unless someone steps into their world. Albanians are a great example. Like most immigrant communities, they've come to the U.S. looking for a better life. They thrive. They quickly learn English. They get education for themselves. They buy homes. They save money. And yet inwardly, they lack the real life of Jesus Christ. Since coming to Boston, I've been haunted by the words of an Albanian woman who owns a pizza shop. Uh, their family's been working for 13 years. They, they manage the restaurant. They've made lots of money. They've built a life. They're probably uh, the kind of life that many Albanians would be envious of. In my second conversation with this woman, she was working the dough for pizza vigorously, and we started talking in Albanian, and she started opening up to me, and she shared how hard her life was for her and her family while running this business. And then she said, with tears starting to come down from her eyes, 13 years, and for what? For what? Underneath the success, the money, the busyness, the smile, was emptiness that was palpable. Her, her tears and her comment were a glimpse into the true condition of her soul. Jesus said, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul. 
this gray harvest field of the unreached among us calls out for us to get to work, to sow with relationships, with smiles, with kindness, with mercy ministry, with prayer, to send missionaries and support and courage to cross cultures, whether overseas or here among us. But this week, I want you specifically to open your eyes to the people whom God has already put around you. Don't rush by them on your way to your next task. Stop and notice them. Who are they? What's their story? What's their spiritual background? And as God opens your eyes to them, pray. Begin to build relationships. Ask them about their family and their kids. Share your life with them. Help them as possible. And in this context, pray. Pray for open doors and boldness to talk about Jesus. Remember the Samaritan woman. Her testimony was incredibly simple. She simply spoke of what she knew. Thirdly, lift up your eyes to see the reward. In verse 36, Jesus encouraged his disciples that those working in the harvest were already receiving wages. They were already gathering fruit for eternal life. Jesus was teaching about the reality of reward. Working in the harvest in this life is rewarded here and in the next. Not in the sense that it will fill your bank account. Not that it will get you a nice house or buy you some earthly pleasure. Uh, on the contrary, taking part in the, ho- in the harvest will likely be costly in those terms of possessions and pleasure. But when it comes to, to true joy, to soul satisfaction, to real rejoicing, nothing in this world compares to it. And it's important to remember this because the great lie of our world is that more money, better jobs, more achievement and opportunity will mean you're more happy, right? And it's a lie. There's no more rewarding life than living the life of God and taking part in the harvest. In God's grace, I've been able to see adult Albanians beam with joy as water of baptism goes over them. I've had the privilege of sitting with them as they open the Bible for the first time and start to consider Jesus. I've seen the awesome uh, opportunity to hear them there, uh, pray for the first time in simplicity and childlikeness. Is there a greater thing in this world? This is what Jesus talked about when he talked about food with his disciples back in verse 31 to 34. See, his disciples had come back from the city with, with food, but Jesus was already feasting. He was eating of the food that filled his soul and overflowed his heart. It, it wasn't physical food. It was food that his disciples didn't even know about yet. Jesus said in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What was Jesus' work? What was he sent to do? Well, to gather his sheep like this Samaritan woman. To lay down his life for his people like these Samaritan villagers coming to him. To gather for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And this is what he has sent us to do. And this is real 
food for our soul. Do you know about this kind of food? Have you tasted this? Are you hungry for it? You know, we live in a culture obsessed with food and drink. Craft beer, farm-to-table food, we have aisles and aisles of food choices. And yet, does our obsession and appetite for these things correspond with a lack of hunger and appetite for the harvest? Are we so full with physical food that at times we don't even realize we're starving to take part in the expansion of God's kingdom? I've come to see my greater need for an appetite for the harvest. Maybe you do too. Oh, that God would give us an appetite for taking part in what the work that he's doing and seeing people know Jesus. Finally, I want you to lift up your eyes to see the reason for the harvest. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I'm going to read verse 39 to 42 once again. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Here we have the key reason that we can even talk about a harvest. The reason that we can expect and go into the world with boldness and courage. Because Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's the one that all of history had been looking forward to. The promised one of God, the Messiah. The way, the truth, and the life. And that's the reason the harvest is happening even now. Because the Savior has come. And he who lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death for our sins, who rose again after three days, who defeated death and sin and Satan, who proved that he is the Savior and accomplished everything that is necessary for our salvation, no matter our background, our culture, our sin, our past, saving us from our lying, our lust, saving us from our anger and arrogance, our gossip, our greed, our religious pride and hypocrisy, our tendency to be full with everything but our Savior. And, and he's the Savior of the world, right? Every culture and country, language and economic group, all who call upon the Lord shall be saved. It's no wonder the harvest reflects this, because this is who he is. He's the Savior of a sinful Samaritan woman, the poor, uneducated Jewish fisherman, a a pharisaical small-town Michigan boy like me, the Iraqi refugee, the Albanian pizza shop owner, the undocumented migrant, the university student, the high-powered politician, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And he's doing that right now, saving men and women from all over the world. Maybe today, like the Samaritan woman and her fellow villagers, you're coming to believe this for the first time. That Jesus Christ really is the Savior and he's your Savior. That he loves you and gave himself for you. Believe this because it's true. And it's this conviction that sends us out in the harvest with boldness and courage. And it's our growing relationship with Jesus Christ that gives us a growing appetite for the harvest. That gives us 
passion for the lost that gives us boldness in the midst of our fear. Lift up your eyes to see the harvest, it is white. May God give you great joy as individuals and as a church as you participate in the great harvest that's happening all around you and all around the world. Let us pray. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us today. We do lift up our eyes to behold our Savior. And we praise you, Jesus, for your death and resurrection for us, that you are the Savior of the world. You're our Savior. We ask that you would give us new rejoicing, new courage, new faith in this reality. We know that we have need for forgiveness and change. We confess that, Lord, uh, our hearts are often apathetic. They're hard. They're cold. Lord, we doubt. We're fearful. By the grace that you purchased for us in Jesus Christ, would you renew us and refresh us today? And God, would you open doors for men and women in this congregation, even this week, to see their neighbor, to see the unreached among them, and boldness to speak and love and engage them. We pray all these things in confidence because of our Savior, and we pray in his precious name. Amen.